game. Blouses. Gallon Chuck. Disaster. Afrogetti. Disaster. Well, I mean, I'm no doctor. We now join America's most popular show already in progress. Everybody loves Mitch and Sean. You guys are the greatest duo. Fantastic. That team sure did suck last night. They just played sucked. I've seen teams suck before, but they were the suckiest bunch of sucks that ever sucked. Everybody and welcome to another edition of the Post Game Pints Podcast, a special edition where Sean Campbell and I are going to uh, talk to a good friend of ours. Uh, but Sean, uh, first, I see you are uh, pouring yourself a nice uh, glass of the Campbell Play by Play IPA. Uh, of course, uh, I'm saving mine for post game tonight, so okay. it's going to be sitting in my fridge or freezer, getting nice and cold. Um, but, of course, you want to give a shout-out to our uh, very special sponsors, as per usual. Yeah, check them out at uh, labrosse.com, 133labrosse in Point Claire uh, for your Campbell play-by-play IPA, your angry gallo ale, uh, whatever pleases you. They have the kind of beer that you want. And uh, check their hours, of course, uh, with everything with lockdown and uh, curfew. They are open, so make sure you check it out at labrosse.com. They're ready for you. And uh, there's still plenty of uh, Campbell play-by-play IPA and Angry Gallo Ale. Trust me, we made a whole lot. And uh, we're looking forward to uh, uh, continuing to, uh, you know, work uh, in unison with LaBrosse Brewery. So cheers to LaBrosse. And uh, Mitch, I I know that uh, you're excited because we're going to be talking to uh, a good friend in the media, someone that we don't normally get to talk uh, with, but we usually do in person when we get to see them. So now Zoom is pretty much in person, right? Uh, kind of, I guess, sort of. It's That's as much it as uh, the in-person interactions that anybody gets. <laughs> exactly. So why don't we make, welcome into the Post Game Pines podcast. It's uh, Sportsnet's Eric Engels, former colleague uh, with uh, Campbell and Gallo on post game shows way back when in the Team 990 days. And I love it. He's got the Masters hat on. How you doing, Eric? <laughs> I'm good, man. Ever since I got this hat, I've been wearing it day and night. Day and night. Uh, got a couple of buddies that were supposed to be at the Masters this year, and when it got canceled, I think they got some exclusive access to the store there. So they sent out an email and said, anybody want anything? And I think the response probably extended much further than me and my brother. Well, it looks, uh, looks good, pal. And, uh, you know, you and I talk uh, quite often um, – about how we would love to do something and talk hockey together on some type of platform. And unfortunately, Campbell and I working with TSN and yourself with uh, Sportsnet doing such a great job, by the way. Uh, it's great that we could find this platform. Campbell and I, we have our podcast and it's, uh, it's great to have you jump on. So thanks for doing it. And I know uh, you're probably pretty pumped like we are to talk hockey today. Oh my God, I miss it. It's like 14 years kind of went by in a in a blink here it's like uh, it's really crazy I think back to those days and all of us trying to get started and um, 
you know, how much fun it was just to be involved and to be doing this and to see the evolution from you guys and where you guys have gone with it and, and where you're at and, and how hard you've worked to do what you do to preserve doing something that you love. It's, I connect with it, you know, because it's, it's what I do too. And I've worked so hard to, to try and get here. And I feel very fortunate, especially now with perspective and everything that's happened with the pandemic. Um, yeah because not a lot of people have it like we do. It's, and I'm thinking about them right now, but very thankful that we're doing what we're doing. And we're a week and a half into the season and it's been absolutely, are you allowed cursing on this thing or? You can do whatever you want, man. <laughs> it's been fucking crazy. It's been unbelievable. So, you, you do whatever you're comfortable with, Eric. Uh, you know, I love that you said, you know, 14 years, I, I do the math in my head. When I started getting, it was four teams, 2007, right? Uh, Mitch and I started around the same time. And I know that we crossed paths early on. We've crossed paths since then uh, multiple times. But there's also somebody else about 14 years ago that was coming through. And that's the goaltender of the Montreal Canadiens, Carey Price. He was drafted in 2005, took him a couple of years to get to the National Hockey League. And it's really interesting because Mitch and I were talking about it, how Carey Price's debut with the Canadiens really coincided with a lot of people starting off in the media and it's it right yeah absolutely yeah. so it just it, it, i i want to start and talk about carrie price and how he's really trying to build on his legacy that legacy without a championship and he's done so much for team canada he's done so much for the montreal canadians he's done so much individually but there's still one thing that's eluding him and and i know that there are years to come and a long contract but he a lot of people still believe he needs that championship to cement that legacy eric i get that i mean it's an age-old it's an age-old sports argument right you know you look at manning brady elway marino and this transfers from sport to sport and you look at a guy like jeremy roenick who was one of the best American players of all time. And his legacy is tainted by the fact that he never won the Stanley cup. Carey price. Yeah. You know, the international experience is one thing there's, you know, that Carey price's dream growing up was to be a Stanley cup winner, not an Olympic gold medalist. He didn't grow up in Sweden. Um, do I think his legacy is tarnished by it? If it doesn't happen, you know, I kind of view him the same way that I view Saku Koivu, like to be Saku Koivu, not to, take this on a completely different path but like Saku Koivu's entire time in Montreal was marked by people saying he's not a number one centerman and yet the only time that he ever had a chance to play with top line players he led every international tournament in scoring like Carey Price has never had a team in front of him like the one we see right now and even this one doesn't have the marquee talent that almost every other team they're competing against in Canada does. So they're built a different way. They might prevail and they might end up, their model might end up being the one that, that works for this season and wins the Stanley cup. I think it's actually something that we can realistically talk about. Um, but you know, the fact that Carey Price doesn't have one really, I don't think is on him. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think it's on him either. And you, you're right. When you look at other sports and how important championships are, I mean, we could go to basketball too, Eric with, you know, Kobe always measuring himself to the six championships and, you know, present day LeBron James chasing Michael Jordan in the six championships. Uh, you mentioned the football example. I'm sure there's tons in baseball, too. The only thing about uh, the hockey one is it's tough to win the Stanley Cup. We know that. But if you look at the history of goaltenders and the great goaltenders of all time, they've all won. And poor Carey Price, if he isn't able to win, he'll have the distinction. Like, we could argue who the greatest goalie is of all time, and you could have different answers. 
But if he doesn't win a Stanley Cup, we will say that he is the greatest goaltender of all time not to have won. My generation, Hasek won, Belfour won, Brodeur won, Patrick Waugh won. You go to the 70s with the great Canadian teams and Ken Dryden, and then the 80s with the, with the Islander teams and the, and the Edmonton Oilers teams with Grant Fear. Like, every great goaltender has won. So it's just unfortunate that he's going to be tagged as the best goalie never to have won the seven cup. You're right. Like, if, if you look 10 years down the line, if he doesn't end up winning it, the distinction about Carey Price, that will be the main one. Like, it will be the thing that, that most people say about Carey Price. Um, and you brought up another point, which is who you think the best goaltender of all time is. And this is where some people will accuse me of, like, some sort of bias or whatever it is. I really don't care. When I watch Carey Price, I think Carey Price is the best goalie I've ever seen. And I love Patrick Waugh, and I love Dominic Asik, and I love all those other guys. With the unique position that I've been in is, like, I've watched – as Campbell just mentioned, like I've watched Carey Price from the first day of his career to now and watched him in a way that most people don't get to watch him, which is in practice every day. And like, it's, to to me, I'm a big believer that, you know, it's very hard to compare era to era, which is why I almost always defer to the new guys. And like before, take this out of the net and that whole argument, because I don't want to get into a whole thing about why I think Carey Price is the best, but the, the logic behind it is this, like, when Sidney Crosby came into the NHL, I felt that Sidney Crosby was the best player I've ever seen. And it's, it's just because of the evolution of the game and because of the fact that he does things that no one before him has ever been able to do. Same way when Bobby Orr came into the game, people looked at him and said, this is the best player I've ever seen. Sidney Crosby is never going to touch Wayne Gretzky's records. And Carey Price is never going to touch Patrick Waugh's Hall of Fame career or Martin Brodeur's for that matter. Um, Connor McDavid has come into the league and, you know, I think most people would probably agree. He's a better player than Sidney Crosby was when he came into the league. And that is just the natural evolution of this sport. The technology is there for that to happen. And the speed of the game is, and the skill in the game has evolved so much that it's, everything is new. And it's the same Peter Forsberg, my favorite player of all time. When Peter Forsberg came to the league and did what he did, I'd never seen a player previous to Peter Forsberg that played that way. So that's just how I evaluate. It's never going to be based on the numbers for me and where they stack up in history against the guys who are established and have the, the a more legitimate case that you could make that they're the best of all time. I just, I've never, I've never seen a goalie that's as good as Carey Price's personally. Yeah. You, uh, you Forsberg guys can stick together. Uh, not, not that I didn't like him, but I know that Gallo's favorite player Forsberg as well. I'm, I'm more of a, on the all time great. I hate comparing guys that careers are done to careers that aren't done. So it's like, to me, Carey Price isn't in the conversation of all time great until he retires. So I'm still sitting on that Patrick Waugh pedestal on that. You know, uh, Campbell, just, uh, just to kind of elaborate on what Eric was talking about though. Because I'm with you. Let the career play out if you're going to start measuring yeah. the numbers and the, and the awards and the championships. But to what Eric was talking about, I think that if you were to go into a laboratory and build a goaltender, you wouldn't build Waugh, Brodeur, or Hashik. You would build Carey Price. No, it's, no. I, right? I, and that's what you're yeah. getting at. I, I, I totally get that that angle. Absolutely. This is, the greatest of all, this is the greatest of all time debate versus the best I've ever seen. Yeah, like, no, no, best yeah. I've that's, ever that's seen. fine. So, so just on your on your point of Carey Price, the best you've ever seen. Where is he today? Because there's been new goalies coming into the National Hockey League. 
do you still walk around in 2021 saying Carey Price is the best and no one's close? Or you look at Vasilevsky and you're like, well, he's better than him now, but I still think Carey Price is the best when I'm looking at an overall. Like, how do you evaluate today's goalies compared to Carey Price? We're not going past Carey Price's career here. I, I fucking love that you just straight up lawyered me. That was amazing. You just put it lot there. But you, you know what? Like, Vasilevsky... Like if, yeah, going back to what Mitch just said, you want to go into a laboratory and build a goaltender. How about a guy who's like, how tall is he? Six, 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 seven. Yeah. He's a, I think he's a six, 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 five. He, he is without question the fastest goaltender in the league. And his instincts are absolutely unbelievable. And just he's, he, 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 he might have that distinction. You might be able to say about him, like this guy's the best goalie I've ever seen. Um, the, the one thing that still weighs with me on the carry price factor is that if you go around the league and it's not just based on, Oh, he's built this reputation and this and that, like guys still look at him as the best goaltender in the world. And it's cause they, cause they, when they watch what he did in the bubble recently and see the way he played, they know like he hasn't changed and he's still that guy. And, and that guy is, the thing I love most about Price and the, and the time being around him is how he describes how he plays the game. You know, I, I once asked him, like, you could never be Hasek just in terms of styles. We would never compare the two of you. But, like, can you do what Hasek did in terms of, like, I'll give you the blocker side and then I'll take it away? And he's like, no. He's like, the game has changed. There's, there's third and fourth liners who shoot, like, top six forwards. Everyone can shoot the puck. And the minute you guess, you're screwed. Like, yeah. I, I have an anticipation. I'm able to guess. I know kind of what's going to happen on the ice. But the minute I start doing it, that's when I get scored on. So, like, he's really explained kind of the evolution of the position there. And I think if you probably look at what Carey Price's best asset is, it is his patience. Like, he's and, – and if you are the most patient in today's game, knowing what we know about how the game has changed, then you probably do have a claim to being the best. But – yeah, I mean, you could argue for Hellebuck. You could argue for Vasilevsky. You could argue for, uh, you know, take take your pick. There's a few others in, in the Carter league. Carter Hart's going to be there soon, Eric. He John does Gibson. a lot like Price. Carter Hart is awesome. John Gibson is awesome. Um, yeah. Jonathan Quick is, is a throwback, different type of goaltender. Some people would say he's the best, and, and the numbers are not even close to supporting that over the last while. So it's, it's, it is a question of preference. Yeah. Tuka Rask is another guy that gets compared to Carey Price. Uh, a, a whole, whole lot. Same draft uh, class, man. Yeah. Awesome absolutely. goalie, too. You, you get in the same draft class, then you're just going to be linked to that player and that goaltender. And actually, to Eric's point, I think Quick was in that draft, too. That's a really good yes, goalie draft. Right right yeah. And then when you're the top pick of that draft, as, as a goalie, you get compared to everybody else And yeah. in 2005. Uh, Eric, there's a couple things we want to get to with you. Uh, one of them, uh, we'll just change it up a little bit because the 2021 version of the Montreal Canadiens, in all the years that you have covered the Montreal Canadiens, let's go back those 14 years. Is this the best version? I mean, can you put this up against the 2010 version that made a nice little run? Uh, we've only really seen a handful of games from this version of the Montreal Canadiens on paper. Everybody loves this version of the Montreal Canadiens, but is that enough to compare it to other generations, other teams that Montreal has put out in your time covering the team? 
the, the potential is there for them to be that. Um, and the fact that they've gotten off to a start that reinforces what their potential is, is, is a huge development for their team, right? They've bought themselves the time whereby at some point they're going to struggle. And this is, this has bought them the time the way they've started the season. Um, the Canadians are kind of the antithesis to the Stanley cup model of the 2010s, 2020s, right? Like they are not built around a couple of superstars up front. They're not built around um, a superstar on the back end who has the mobility of a Quinn Hughes or a Kale McCarr. They have $10.5 million invested in their starting goalie and another four in their, uh, in their backup. They're the complete antithesis of what the, what the model franchise of the 2020s is supposed to be. And yet when you look at their roster, find me a hole. I can't find a weakness on what this team is supposed to be. They might prove that they have them and they might prove that they are not going to live up to the billing of what we expect they can be, which is what they've shown early on this season. And that every line is scoring. Every line is a threat when they're on the ice. Claude Julien can run them as a four line team and a, and a three pairing defense team. Like when Brett Kulak goes from playing that well on the second pair to he's playing 14 minutes a night on the third because there's just no room for him. And Victor Mete's on the outside looking in as an NHL defenseman that would get claimed by 20 out of 31 teams, just because the, their blue lines aren't as deep. Like find me the hole. Where's the hole. I understand they don't have the top end um, premier offense driving forwards to match up with Matthews and McDavid and Marner and line and uh, take, take, pretty much every team in Canada outside of Ottawa. And like, you might trade Montreal's top six for the top six of any other team, basically. But like, would, would you trade their four lines for the four lines of every, they have a fifth line that's better than most teams fourth or even some of their thirds. Like there's no hole here. I'm, I can't find the hole. And, and if the special teams continue to be good, we know what they're going to do at five on five. So it's, yeah, the potential is there for this to be the best team that I've covered uh, in this era of the Montreal Canadiens. Okay. So, you know, I've been thinking about the way teams have won the Stanley cup quite, quite often lately because of what you're talking about, Eric. And another question for both you guys, um, how different are the Montreal Canadiens built compared to the St. Louis blues team that won two years ago? Now the Canadians don't have uh an offensive talent like Vladimir Tarasenko. I understand that. But maybe you could mitigate that a bit by the fact that Carey Price, in my opinion, is far superior to Jordan Biddington, even though he played lights out in the playoffs. Don't get me wrong. Other than Tarasenko, though, how different are the Montreal Canadiens as far as build to the St. Louis Blues? I know that, you know, Dano is not Ryan O'Reilly, but you look at the Selkie voting last year and they are the similar type of player. And maybe the Canadians might even be a little bit deeper than the St. Louis Blues were on that team. Not to mention they have a couple guys from that Stanley Cup championship team on their <laughs> roster now. I don't know. I see a lot of similarities between St. Louis and Montreal. I'll defer to Sean here first. Yeah. Well, what I like the comparison is that the Blues team, they at the time, they were relying on some young players to kind of step up. If you, if you think like just a couple of years ago, like Robert Thomas, they, they, they wanted to use him. And that's what I like that the Canadians are doing. They have their veterans. They have the Gallaghers. They have their Tatars, even a, a Deneau. And, and these guys have been around. But 
young players that are unproven proving themselves mm-hmm. as you are trying to win. Not young players proving themselves in a losing environment. In a, you know, like I, I worry about Tim Stutzla a little bit that way because he's going to prove himself that he's an NHL player all season long, but he's, you know, ideally, like likely he's not going to win many games. Whereas, you know, you have these young guys in winning environments and it's going to make them even better. I, I, I flash back, you know, we can use Corey Perry and Ryan Getzlaff as an example when Anaheim was successful. They were using young guys in a positive environment. The yeah. early, the, you know, like maybe it was rough for the, it's a different, it's a different style than like Crosby and Malkin were, they, the team sucked when they were started. Uh, Taves and Kane, the team sucked when they started and then they evolved. Not saying that that's not the right way, but I think that's the link with the blues. I think it's using the young guys. Okay. So I'm going to answer Mitch's question based on what both of you said there. And I also am so happy you just brought up Stutzla, Stutzla, Stutzla. <laughs> because I have I have a point to make on what you just said, but I want I want to address Mitch, Mitch's question first. Um, the closest comparable with the St. Louis team is on the back end, obviously. Like the blue line is almost the exact blueprint. Like yeah, like the size, right? Like yeah. But I actually I see the 2011 and 2013 Bruins. Um, that's what I see when I look at the Canadians in terms of the way they're built. When I think about Mark Bergevin talking about being able to play any style that versatility is there and that nastiness element is there and that rolling four lines element is there. And the coach who was coaching them is there and knows exactly what to do with that. Um, which is probably a big reason why this start is off to one that's maybe a bit better than maybe anybody could have anticipated given that schedule. And I also think the other comparable with the, with the Bruins is in the model that Bergevin chose as far as reset is concerned. He could have torn the whole thing down, which, which is going to bring me to my point on Stutzla and the Senators. But he, he, he didn't tear the whole thing down. He kept the Webers and the prices. The Bruins went through a few shit years, and they didn't tear it all down. They, they kept Bergeron. They kept Chara. And they kept this foundation of guys so that when you bring in the youth, you have them insulated. and You have them growing in an environment where they're not overly exposed, but they're also not put in a situation where, like, you're just going to crush them. The Senator, so the Oilers for me are the antithesis of that. The Oilers are, we're going to, when everybody is bridging their young players, we're going to give Nugent Hopkins, Hall, and Eberle six and seven-year deals out of entry level. And we're not going to keep any of the veterans around them because we have enough talent in this and that. And look what happened with Hall. And look what happened with Eberle. And look at where they are now with McDavid and Dreisaitl, who they can't possibly ruin because they're such great players, but they can't seem to put a team around. And then look at Ottawa. Ottawa has Jean-Gabriel Pajot. They have Mark Borowiecki. And they are growing their team with no budget and with a bunch of young players who need to make the difference in the future. And you want to build them the right way and groom them the right way. You lose Pajot, a guy that if I have that guy and I'm trying to groom my young players, that's the last fucking guy I'm ever trading or getting rid of, like ever. And Borbietsky, who's a guy who's willing to block shots with his face, goes for very cheap on the open market when you could have just re-signed him and kept him around. And then you realize, oh, we got a chance to draft third and fifth overall or whatever it was. What, what, what were the numbers? Second and fifth? What, what did they yeah, have? Yeah, three and five. Three, three and five, five. yeah. 
okay, oh, and we're going to get these. Well, we better get some players around them because we've screwed it up with so many other okay. guys. Colin White, okay, was a high-end prospect that came into Ottawa that they signed out of entry level to a long-term deal and gave too much money to that they had no insulation for. They put him on their first line and exposed him to playing against Matthews every night and McDavid and whoever else you want to pick, whatever top line you want to pick. And now he's a fucking healthy scratch in Ottawa. So, you, you know, people ripped on Mark Bergevin for a very long time. And I get why they did, okay? I understand it. If you're, you can't be caught in between this aging core and the youth and this and that, but you cannot just tear it to the ground and leave these kids the keys to the car. It's like, it's like Rocky fighting, um, it's like Rocky fighting uh, Clubber Lang in the first fight. Like it's, don't, <laughs> don't do that because this is how you destroy players. And I love it. Rocky references and you're making fun of yeah. Ottawa. You're fitting well, in for like Ottawa, Ottawa to me is, 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 is thank God that they went out and signed these guys that most hockey fans would look at and be like, these guys suck, like Stepan and, and uh, Branson. And those guys are the only reason why this thing might not turn into what Edmonton is. And I, I think that, you know, just to further and, and wrap up here, I think another great example of it, like the Canadians, I think, have a pretty decent shot to win the North Division. And if you look at the division of death, the most difficult division, I think Philadelphia has a really good shot. And they did the same exact thing. They, they kind of kept their veterans around, Giroux, Voracek. Uh, they, they did not tank on anybody. And they brought up Konechny and Farabee and Provorov and Carter Hart along nicely and slowly. And now you're seeing it's, it's paying off for them in the exact same way that seems to be paying off for the Canadians. And Doug, and Doug Armstrong didn't blow up the Blues when they had the worst start imaginable. I remember they yeah. came to Montreal in, like, November just, that year. They just and changed I walked, the coach. They just changed the coach. I walked Give across the, the press box to, uh, to Jeremy Rutherford, and I was like, what the hell is wrong with this team? This is There's something really wrong here. Like, I watched two periods, and I was just like, this is the worst hockey team I've seen in this building in, <laughs> in like, 10 years. Something yeah. is pretty wrong. So, so Eric, I... I want to make sure we fit this all in and I got a couple of things I want to get to. I have a little bit of a pop quiz. We like to throw a pop quiz at the end of the show. Uh, so just uh, throw something, but I got it. I have to flash back and I know Mitch was there. We got to tell the story when we used to do post games together and there was, and I know, you know exactly what story I want to tell because Gallo and I used to host the show NHL tonight when we didn't have the rights to the Canadians on team 990, but we still had a Habs post game show and Gallo and I would do that show. And then, somebody would come in and join us on the post-game show. And Eric, every now and then, you were the guy that came in on a Saturday night and sat down and did the post-game show with us. So you would show up when the game was over after watching the game uh, full. But Gal and I would be on the air while the game's on. So it's like we're live on the air with the mic and we're watching the game in the corner, taking notes to, you know, you can only watch it at a maybe a 70% pace when you're trying to do radio at the same time. And we got an argument. I, I Maybe you remember what the argument was. We were arguing about something in the game. And you turned to me live on the air and you said, you didn't even watch the game. And I was <laughs> furious. I was absolutely furious. There was dead air. I stood up from my microphone. Like, I just stood up and was like, what? And then there was just dead air. It came back. Something fell back there. And... Uh, 
everything's falling now. And then we just kind of awkwardly went to break. I don't know how, like, you tell me your version from that. We went, we, we went to break and you looked at me and you got, you, you had a bit of a Hulk Hogan kind of look in your eye and you said, don't <laughs> fucking do that again. But, um, <laughs> The part of the story that I remember is that I apologize. Oh, I apologize profusely. One, because I'm not going to win a fight against you. But two, because <laughs> I, in the heat of an on-air battle and the dynamic that we had, yeah, I didn't realize what kind of insinuation that was and immediately regretted it. And uh, I think I've... I think I've apologized many times for doing that that one time. Yeah, you, something, you, you always apologize for that something, one. Something we look back on and laugh about now, but in the moment, for sure, you were pissed. And then we got over it and moved through the show and we were fine. But uh, yeah. that's I what I Gallo, Gallo was kind of like the third party just being there, like, what the fuck is happening? I was uh, I was on the board. I was uh, producing and uh, just chiming in, but mostly I was answering the callers and making sure everything sounded good and we had all the audio. And I'm just looking at you guys. I'm like, I don't know what to do. It was, like, this is, like, it was this based is on, like, awkward. John said something to the effect of one player had some sort of pedestrian effort in the game. And I said, if you think that about that player, you didn't even watch the game. Yeah. And that's, and, I, and I was like, man, I know that I'm watching at 70%, but don't tell the listeners that I was watching at 70%. I, I'm wondering, uh, I'm wondering what player he was calling out for half-assing it, was, it out there. It was a Habs-Leafs game. I think, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was a Habs-Leafs game. It was, it was definitely remember. a Habs-Leafs game. Because yeah. I remember he so also said been, something about Jaguar, and I was like, ah, yeah. Yeah, well, 2007, 2008, in that, in that round. 2009, maybe? Maybe. Like maybe. Whatever. Right. We got over it quickly then, and we've been over it since. <laughs> All right, I, I got a pop quiz. Uh, Mitch, you can help out Eric on this one if you want, okay? Uh, I want to help. I, I, I love the okay, pop quiz. So there's a little pop quiz before we sign off here on the Post Game Pines podcast. Campbell Gallo angles with you. Uh, Eric, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we like to finish with a little pop quiz. You already mentioned it's great. I love that earlier uh, in the episode you uh, mentioned Saku Koivu. And I know that you love Saku <laughs> Koivu, right? Saku Koivu, one of your favorites? Definitely. Okay. In his tenure with the Montreal Canadiens. He played 13 seasons, okay? 13 seasons. He led the team in scoring three times in those 13 seasons. Some because of injury, some because of illness, but three times he led the team in scoring. Seven other players led the team in scoring in his tenure with the Canadians. Who are those seven players that led the Canadians in scoring when Saku Koivu were, was on the team? We only have six minutes here. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, okay, I'm to the Mike Ribeiro is one. Mike Ribeiro is one. Uh, very good. Mitch, you want to throw one out there? Uh, Kovalev. Kovalev did it three times. Kovalev did it three times, the most out of anybody. So, Kovalev, Ribeiro, good job. Eric? Yannick Perot. Yes, that is the oh, the gem, Yannick Perot. That one, everybody knows there's one year that he led the team in scoring. Yannick Perot, Mitch? Wasn't it like 56 points to get it done, too? Something I think it was 47. Like I think it was 47. 47? Oh, my goodness. Wait, can, you repeat, can you repeat the question? Is it just within the 13 The round that Koivu was on the team. Koivu was on the team 13 years with the Canadians. Yeah. One was the lockout year. Uh, and three times he led the team in scoring. There are 10 other years, but a couple guys did it multiple times. So there's seven players that led okay. the team in scoring when Koivu was on the team. Two for two uh, so far. Okay. How about, uh, how about Pocanitz? 
Uh, Placanitz never led the team in scoring with Koivu on the team. No, but yeah. Pierre Turgeon did. Pierre Turgeon, year one. Year one, Pierre three Turgeon. Three, Gala. Let's go, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> how about uh, how about Zednik? Richard Zednik is an incorrect answer, Mitch. There's three names left on the board here. Three names. Because you've gotten Kovalev, Ribeiro, Perot, and Turgeon. There's three names left on the board, guys. Um, now, now we're stretching here, but I'm going yeah. with uh, Vinny Donfus. Vinny Donfus. Eric, you're rolling. You're rolling. <laughs> Vinny Donfus definitely did it. There are two names remaining. One of them did it twice. One of them did it twice. One of them did it twice. later years now here. Yeah. Uh, all, all the names that come to mind came in the year after he left. Yeah. Need two more names. We got about two minutes left here, boys. What about uh, uh, this? Might be a stupid guess. Fuck. Uh, Brian Savage? No, not Brian Savage. He may have led the team in November one year. <laughs> it's very possible he did. Eric? Um, Recky? Did it twice. That's five correct answers. Five for five, by the way, just so you know. Oh, man. You told me to go to the later years. Yeah, there's one guy. There's one guy. Mitch, you should get this final guy. You should get this final guy. Is it uh, Michael Ryder? No. Oh, come on. It's not well, Michael that's Ryder. Because we had a beef over Michael Ryder. That's why I thought you were saying that. How's this? How's this? The, the clue for the final guy, guys. We were talking about the greatest goalies of all time. He did get traded from the Canadians for oh, Ruchinsky. Marty Ruchinsky is the other guy. Not Marty. fair. I could have gone six for six and you stole my turn. It's okay. We were, <laughs> we, were against, we were against the clock and I was impressed with your performance, uh, Eric. I'll never uh, do better. I'll never do better than that ever. <laughs> uh, see, now you could use that. You could use that pop quiz with your friends. What's the most points that Koivu ever had in the season? Is it 71 or 75? Uh, you're, the like fan. you're the fan of Koivu. You should know. <laughs> just so people know I oh, cheer for people I cheer for people not for the team and it's impossible not to cheer for Saku Koivu and covering him um one of the five athletes who I've enjoyed covering more than just about anybody and you'd be surprised who's on that list like another guy for me who's not anywhere near the star caliber is Nate Thompson like Nate Thompson to me is one of the five favorite people I've ever come across in hockey just an incredible person yeah, great story with Nate Thompson, too. We've had him uh, – I've talked to him a couple times on the air. Just uh, uh, a lot of fun to get to know him and the person. Eric, uh, we're right up against the clock, but uh, thanks for joining us. We've got to do this again, uh, and I'm, I'm really enjoying this crossover on the Post Game Pines podcast. You need uh, Trent to do to buy a, a, a real Zoom subscription here, this 30-minute <laughs> window. We could talk for hours, the three of us. I, I would love to do it any other time, guys. It was really fun to be reunited. Enjoy Thanks, the season. We'll talk again. Well, how's that for your entertainment value? They've done their job very, very well. Awesome! No, 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 no. Hey! Come on. VBF.
Thank <laughs> you.